Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Welcome to SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Raf, arguably the biggest, biggest week of the year. What does your grand final routine look like? Obviously, there is plenty to talk about with the Sydney-Geelong blockbuster game tomorrow. I thought we'd get straight into it. What does your grand final routine look like? And how was your week too, by the way? We had a bit of an interesting week, a three-day week. This is our fourth day. Yeah, mate. Uh, thanks, guys. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having us. Uh, comes to tune in again. Uh, yeah, it's a big, big week. The the one we all look forward to. The last week, uh, last grand weekend of uh, September. So yeah, it's uh, looking looking like a big, exciting one. It's always exciting, mate. It's very exciting. I'm always jealous living in Darwin at the moment of those people in Victoria, and extra jealous now that they had that extra public holiday today. So. It really is grand final fever. I was there in 2019 getting a part of the parade and all the extra events that the AFL does so well. You've obviously lived the experience as a player and potentially a supporter, I don't know. But before I talk about that St Kilda versus Geelong 2009 grand final of which you were a part of, what is your current grand final routine? Are you going to kick back with the family? Are you going to have a few drinks with the boys? What's on for tomorrow? Yeah, um, I'm quite lucky this year. It's finally uh, landed on my birthday, so oh. um, I get to celebrate tomorrow just uh, my birthday as well. Happy as birthday for that, Ralph. Well. Cheers, mate. So, um, yeah, I've got the family coming around, mate, and some close mates. Uh, we'll watch the footy and kick back and have some fun around the, my house and have the kids in the pool and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, looking forward to a good day tomorrow and watching the footy as well. Raf, we're almost birthday twins because my birthday is on the 27th, so this is always doubled oh. as a bit of a birthday weekend for yeah, myself as it. well. It's, it's one of those things with us, we have birthdays on the grand final weekend, so when we host an event and everyone rocks up, we think we're the popular ones, yeah, but basically it. there's a pretty good, pretty good entertainment going on in the background. Hey, we have a huge show today, Raf. We're going to talk about all the controversy surrounding the Hawthorne Football Club, obviously very difficult topics to talk about there, but something that I think it's important that we digest we'll talk about a couple of different trade news that has erupted during the week we talk about the grand final of course some selection dramas during the week with sam reed and max holmes both overcoming their respective injuries logan mcdonald dropped we have the territory boy brandon parford obviously a very big big selection cloud there but let's go to the grand final let's stay on the grand final rather in 2009, you suited up for the Saints against Geelong. It was one of the biggest grand finals in a long time because both teams were just so evenly matched. They were so good. I think earlier that season, there was the so-called home and away game of the century at uh, Marvel Stadium. What was that experience like? I know it's a broad question, but people always talk about how, oh, look, the grand final's different. 
could you put that into words, how different the grand final is and I suppose how the grand final differs from, say, a preliminary final? So a preliminary final, clearly there's a lot to play for as well. Does it lift up a notch even from that? Yeah, it definitely does, mate. And I think just because every single eye is on you, um, grand final week when there's two left, um, two teams. So, yeah, you, you know, the, I think everything just changes. You know, your the, your feeling of excitement uh, as well, just in yourself and, um, mm. you know, talking to the family, trying to get all the flights sorted, <laughs> get everyone down there. And, you know, it's it's a bit of a headache as well at the same time because you've got every man and his dog that knows you thinking they're going to get a ticket and it's so Yeah, just, um, just on that, Raph, how many tickets are players allocated? And was that a distraction for you in the lead-up, asking for tickets and working out who to give tickets to? No, not really. It's, I think you, you sort of work out before. So I think we've got about 10 each. Mm. Uh, um, and then if you wanted to, you could buy some of other players who probably weren't playing. Um, so, you know, each each player was allocated like two. Um, that's mm. the non-players. And the players normally got four on game day. But for grand final, we, I think we're pretty sure I got 10. Um, so it's a bit hard because there's seven of us in my family. So... You know, I definitely had to buy the extra tickets for, you know, aunties and uncles and yeah. a couple of mates. And Can you sell them off, Raph? I know you wouldn't. Not your family. The tickets, of course. Can you get, oh, yeah, look, I need 10 tickets. I've got a big family. And then just sell them to, to all the Saints members over the fence and make a handy no, profit. Well, it'll be a pretty uh, noticeable, <laughs> mate, because the tickets yeah. are for the family section. Oh, so, yeah, 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 to have a, have a mad St. Kilda supporter <laughs> sitting there amongst all the families, it, it'll be stand out pretty quickly. And I... Uh, yeah, wouldn't be appreciated by the other boys, players, um, their families as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a crazy week, mate. Like it, it goes so quick. Um, you know, before you know it, you're doing your grand final parade. Um, unfortunately, when we did it, it was raining, so we didn't get to sit on the back of the ute and wave to everybody. We had to sit inside the cars <laughs> and just wind the window down a little bit, just so players, up the supporters, could see who was in which cars. Um, so yeah, that was that was one of the big days I was looking forward to getting the drive around on the back of a Ute in Melbourne, you know, with the, with the streets full. So yeah, un- unfortunately it rained. So like I said, sitting in the back of a car with Jimmy Gortz, um, <laughs> you know, it's not a nice experience because he's a big boy. So <laughs> <laughs> I suppose a club like St Kilda too, there would have been so many diehard supporters waiting to see that Premiership drought. You know, if you're a club like. Geelong supporters don't need to go back that far since the last time they achieved premiership success but all the St Kilda diehards would have been out in full fourth given those grand finals how was someone like Ross Lyon your coach in the lead up obviously portrays an intense character on TV and and in interviews but was he a different man in the lead up to the grand final or did he keep things pretty normal yeah Rossi he's he's the coolest customer going around mm-hmm. he he keeps everything pretty pretty straightforward mate and uh you know obviously in meetings and that, you can see the excitement in his, in his face and the smiles. But when he talks, and even like when you see him on the media, how straight he can keep his face. Um, everyone thinks he's the most serious man and he's, you know, he never has any fun. But once you get to know him and, and you, on a personal level, he's, you know, he's one of the funniest guys going around. He, do, he does actually joke around, which is hard to believe. Yeah. Like he's got a few jokes and, um, yeah, he's, he's one of my closest mates um and same as grant thomas as as was a coach he yeah he's a bit more relaxed obviously than um rossi line but yeah rossi line probably doesn't come across as that you know cool customer can joke around and have a laugh with <laughs> you certainly need that balance don't you raf i mean a guy like ross line you would think could be the most serious of the serious characters on a week like grand final week but if a coach is doing that it just reflects back onto the players and you don't want your players to be all tense and uptight do you yeah that's it and you look at look at the pl- uh, coaches these days like mccray and mm. chris Alex scott Goodwin. made big changes yeah, yeah so 
you know, see Craig McRae on the sideline, how excited and how happy he is getting around to his boys. Um, I think there needs to be more of that, mm. um, in my in my view. Um, but, yeah, like like I said, Rossi Lyon did that behind closed doors, so that's what made us put everything on the line for him and always give your best performance. Yeah. Where were you on the field when Scarlett did his infamous toe poke to Paul Chapman? Can you remember that moment? And what were you thinking? I think I might have just read to the bench, yeah, because... Um, so you missed it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I was on the ground. Yeah, I was actually playing on Mooney at the time. So when the contest came in, when it got kicked in by Ablett, um, I competed for the contest in the air, and then when it spilt, um, yeah, seeing the ball and seeing Chapman just kick it over all our heads, and it's just, yeah, it was... <laughs> it's it's just history. Hurts, it's, yeah, to bring it up now and to think about it now, it hurts a little bit, so... Well, unfortunately, <laughs> on a weekend like this, you might see a few replays. Hey, just a quick one. What happens when you lose a grand final, Raf? I thought this was an interesting question that I've always wanted to ask someone that has been in that position. We see on social media all the immediate celebrations after. There's been some iconic vision in the past couple of years. I think back to Jack Revolt and Mr. Brightside and all the celebrations there. But what happens to a team that loses a grand final? Is it a very sombre mood or are the wounds quickly licked and, and back on the horse again and let's keep things positive and celebrate our season? Yeah, definitely um, Definitely when it's a, a close game. Like, you know, ours went down to the wire. So, you know, you can you still get to walk off with your head held high knowing you give every, every single thing to, to win that game. And, uh, um, yeah, it was obviously, you know, it, it is a hard break. Um, losing the grand final because you you never know if you're going to get that chance again. So that's the hardest thing, and you know, making sure you stay close for that first couple of hours before you get out and see the family and all that, and um, you know, mingle back in with the supporters. But you know, we went right down to the wire. So to have mm. your supporters support and get around you straight away, you know, you've you've made everyone proud, even though you didn't bring home the cup. Um, and that's probably the most pleasing thing when you do lose that that your supporters are still there and get around you and tell you that you you know they're happy with your effort so and you've made everyone happy so yeah, yeah. without winning so <laughs> very nice raf we have plenty to get through in today's show we talk about the brownlow we'll talk about buddy re-signing we have your brother richmond assistant coach xavier clark on as a guest very very keen to hear his views on things and of course we need to wrap up the big stories of the week the grand final tomorrow and the hawthorne uh, the allegations that broke earlier in the week. So that's a big, big topic. This is SEN Fridays at the Top End, 1611. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the Top End, 1611 AM. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Raf, it is grand final fever. Before we talk about some of the other news going on in the AFL world, and of course we're going to digest the game in depth a little bit later on, I want to talk about some of the sideshows that have always interested me. I think it interests me more than the general public normally because everyone always seems to say on the, the internet forums, oh, who cares about the grand final sprint or the longest kick competition? But I always would have liked if these players in the AFL would have a decent crack. Sometimes you see blokes lining up in the grand final sprint and you're like, who is that guy? He wouldn't, he'd be one of the slowest players on your list. But other times you see players and, and they line up at the grand final sprint or in the longest kick and you know they really, really want to win it. Raf, who was the fastest player that you played with or seen in the AFL? And I know I've taken you by surprise there with a bit of a tough one, but I know you would have played with some super quick footballers in the NTFL, obviously a very quick brand of football. Go back to your St Kilda days. Who were the people that would put their hand up for the grand final sprint? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting one out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> depending on the distance to the hundred meters, um, yeah, I probably oh. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> How did you go then, Raph? Let's talk about that. No, did you well, ever think, you know what? I'm yeah, gonna win this grand final I, sprint. I took a while to um, to get moving, so I'd probably, you know, my my distance would probably be more a 200 meter runner or a 400 meter runner. But um, yeah, I think surprisingly, someone like Fraser Garrick and Max Hudson, those big guys, um, they're they're power off the mark. Um, so they would have been my. I would have chucked at a 100 meter sprint, probably Fraser Garrick, um, especially in my early days, like. You know, you go and line up against the player on him and you think, oh, I've got him easily. And then all of a sudden the ball comes and he's gone. Like, same as Stephen Milne, their reaction time mm. and their power to take off. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't anyone that was absolutely lightning that you'd go, geez, he, no one could beat him until young Reese Stanley came along, who's now... Oh, yeah, he won a grand final sprint from yeah, memory. Yeah, so now he's, you know, he'd be rucking on Sunday for Geelong. So he was surprisingly for his height, six foot six, whatever yeah. he is, he, he was probably one of the most... Uh, natural types of sprinters you, you could probably say was the quickest, yeah. Yep. So from one out of the blue question to another, Raf, the longest kick competition, who were some of the players that you played alongside of that could just get onto a barrel? When I think about players in the AFL now, I think of Trent McKenzie and players like that. Surely the G train could get onto a barrel as well. Yeah. But who were some of the best long kickers that you played with? Yeah, the G train, obviously, like you mentioned. Brendan Goddard could kick it a while. Oh, uh, yeah. Matt Maguire back in the day. Um, and surprisingly, even Xavier, my brother, yep. um, he probably liked me pumping him up here <laughs> a bit. But when he got onto a torpedo, they could go forever. Um yeah, I I was more that same, like, <laughs> just your 60 to 70 metres, you know, if you got onto one. But, yeah, some of those boys, um, Kaczynski as well, um, he could he could kick it a mile. Um, and then when we had Aaron Fiora for a couple of years, that rake in left foot, mm. when he could kick it top, um, yeah, he could, he could kick it a mile. Paddy Cripps was the Brownlow medalist last Sunday night. He finished with 29 votes ahead of Lockie Neal on 28, Tuke Miller on 27 and Andrew Brayshaw and Clayton Oliver rounding out the top five with 25. A little bit of controversy, Raf, with the comments from AFL CEO Gillan McLaughlin earlier in the week talking about his controversial non-suspension. Uh, you sort of probably have to put that behind us now, don't we? The non-suspension, when a guy comes out and wins the Brownlow like that, we just need to celebrate his achievements, I would have thought. But Paddy Cripps, any issues with him as the Brownlow medalist or a well-deserved winner? Um, yeah, I don't know, mate. It's, I, I might have caused a bit of controversy here, but... Um, here we go. Yeah, I when I seen him win, I just thought it was... Even in the way they read it out, that last fight, it, it just looked too staged. And <laughs> to me, the Brownlow sort of lost a bit of credibility. Um, the way it all was set up and... You know, just, yeah, just go back to, you know, the bloke should have been suspended mm -hmm. in my eyes or in everybody's eyes. Um, cause if you, I certainly don't disagree with you there. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, you know, when I speak to, you know, I, I shouldn't keep mentioning my brother, but, you know, he, he said, you know, I probably shouldn't say his words, but just imagine if it was Ben Long or someone yeah. else like that who put on that same bump. Um, yeah. You'd think they'd be getting off for two weeks suspension. They probably would have got offered four, so... Um, that's my view on it, and um, yeah, I'm probably going to get a lot of people not like what I've got to say about it. But yeah, it would have been awesome to see someone like Took Miller, yeah, or someone like that win the Brownlow, or even um, Brayshaw from Fremantle, because they were, you know, their years were outstanding again, and um, you know. Yeah, it just looked too set up for me. <laughs> so what do you mean by set up? So I reckon that, like, I've always wondered about that. It's hilarious, the 
what they do when they bring in the armor guard security and they act like these votes are the most sacred thing in the world. And then, like you said, it always looks staged. But I get the impression they have a quick little look at the votes yeah, they and definitely then, would, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can create a little bit of suspense for TV. Surely there's nothing wrong with that, Raf. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant by set up, but not set up in terms of like um, cheating or anything like. But more nah. the way they read it out and in that sort of way. That that's the setup I was talking about. Yeah, so <laughs> not not saying he won it, um, uh, you know, unfairly no, no. Um, or cheating, but he was an outstanding year by Crips and. You know, that's the only grey area about it, the way, you know, the suspension and he got off. So that's my view on it. Fair enough, Raf. We do need to go to a break very soon, but Lance Buddy Franklin, a man who will play a big, big role in tomorrow's grand final, has re-signed for one more year. So very, very quickly, in about 20 words or less, what will Buddy be on the game? What will his legacy be, Raf? Uh, it's awesome to see him go around for one more year, mate, and hopefully he can climb that uh, leading goal kicking list. Very good. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays at the top end, 16.11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, we will love your listing. Ralph, it's always a very special moment when a Territorian makes their debut at the elite level, and we had one last night with Janome Anderson, a St Mary's young gun, making her AFLW debut for St Kilda. A very special story, this one. She is the first ever Indigenous AFLW draftee for the Saints, and she was given Nikki Winmar's famous number seven jumper uh, as a part of that. The little sister of Joe Anderson, former Carlton player, and Jed Anderson, former Hawthorne and current North Melbourne player. Janome is a Saints junior. What do you know about Janome? And it's great to see her play on the big stage, isn't it? Yeah, mate. Janome's an absolutely superstar. Um, you know, see her coming through the ranks, um, and I get to see her watch her play her first couple of senior games for St Mary's. Um, she's just so brave. She takes the game on. She's tough. She's hard. Um, and to see her make her debut last night, she probably, you know, what against a tough team mm. like Geelong wasn't ideal. But uh, once again, mate, to see her become the youngest ever to make a debut. Yeah, awesome. lost by 50 points last night, but very, very good achievement. We have the news coming up, but we do have your brother, Xavier Clark, Richmond's assistant coach, on the line very, very shortly. This is SEN Fridays at the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. the top end 16 11 a.m thanks to rain and horn darwin we will love your listing raf we have a very special guest today and that is your brother and the richmond assistant coach xavier clark xavier thank you very much for joining us this morning all right boys thank you thanks for having me Hey, Xavier, just a quick one from me. I am a Richmond nuffy. I absolutely love the Tigers <laughs> with all my heart, so I was shattered with the way the Tigers' season ended. What is the general mood around the club? Because it was a bit of a bittersweet season. Obviously, losing so many close games was disappointing for any Tigers person, but at the same time, the club was able to blood a lot of, a lot of young footballers who really made an impact. What was the general mood like around the club? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the general um, a little bit of disappointment because we sort of felt we were, we were building at the right time, um, and there's no doubt we lost a couple of games. You know where we we should have won. I thought um, yeah, they're the ones that probably hurt a little bit. When you know you probably think we could have finished maybe a bit higher up the ladder and give ourselves more of a chance. But I think the best thing about the year is you're right. We we got to play a young couple of young kids. You know Tyler Sonsi come on, Noah Cumberland, um, you know, Gibb just down back. 
Um, you know, Benny Miller played a bit more footy this year, so we found some players while I think re-establishing a little bit of our brand, which um, you know, which we love to see. And the one thing we did really well this year is we, we actually moved the ball a bit better and scored better. But unfortunately, um, we let a few too many goals through the other way, and uh, when that happens, you you know, you're leaving it to chance. So I think um, we built pretty well, and probably. I think the North Melbourne game was the one where we thought, but me personally, I thought, shit, let's just get the season done and get on a bit of a break and reset. But once we started to build and start to win games towards the end of the season, then you know, I really thought that we could have had a big impact on finals. But um, So it's a little bit disappointing, but I think that's a good thing going into the off-season and preparing for next year. There you go, Xavier, the better brother here, Ralph. Uh, just a quick shout-out, mate, to a couple of listeners. So we've got uh, Lana, our number one listener, who's a partner of Ollie, our producer, and also a good mate of yours, Joey Bell, tuning in today. So I'll be chat before I... The, good... the great uh, Joey Bell. Things, yeah, the Joey Bell. Um, so how are you, mate? How's the holidays treating you? Um, you know, how's the kids? Everything going all right? Yeah, not too bad. I'm actually currently in Chinchilla, uh, which is about four and a half hours west of Brisbane. So there's not much going on here, but um, the kids are at home at the moment, running a bit of a muck with with all my wife. But I get back tonight, so um, yeah, looking forward. I'm actually going to the grand final tomorrow. So looking forward to that. Um, you know, go as a spectator and enjoy the, the game and for what it is. And um, yeah, I think hopefully the Swannies will get the job done. I think uh, my next question is probably um, not, not much to do about Richmond, but since I'm coaching the St Mary's Div 2, I have had a chance to ask you this yet, but are you going to jump the boots on for your little brother, <laughs> mate, and join join our St Mary's boys and have a run this year? Um, I'll have to wait and see. You'll have to slip me a, a um, contract offer first before I decide anything and see what my conditions and terms are. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll try and negotiate something. <laughs> hey, Raf, you spoke about... Sorry, Raf. Xavier, this is getting confusing. You spoke about some of the younger Richmond players in Miller, Cumberland, Sonsi, Gibkus. Last year, the club had five picks inside the top 30. I watched a lot of VFL football and was impressed with Sam Banks and Judson Clark and Tom Brown. Who are some of the other younger players on the Tigers list to look out for? Yeah, I think you, you probably named majority of them. I think the other thing we, we forget, and um, you know, guys like Noah Cumberland is now into his third year, I think, um, but he played zero footy in his first year. He had a knee reconstruction and in his second year. He actually hardly played as well because of COVID. So uh, some of those boys, you know, Benny Miller is, is what got caught up in that um, as well, even though I think it was a you know, similar draft to one of the the other boys about four years ago, but they missed a lot of footy, so We've seen start seeing them now, you know, actually get to play VFL footy and be competitive. And, and so guys like Noah and Ben Miller have been around for a little while, starting to you know, show that they can actually play the game at a high level, which is really good. But then to be able to get guys like, you know, like you mentioned, Judson Clark plays two games this year um, and he's got a bit of class. He's, his upside is going to be quite good, we think. You know, we think that he might be like a, a replacement for like a, someone like a Kane Lambert. And if he can be half the play, he's, he's going to be a good footy player. Um, and Sam Banks was close in the the year, Tassie boy. Um, you know, he played a lot of wing, a bit of half back as well. So we think, you know, those boys that are coming through are a good group. And like you said, they'll, 
most of them were, you know, relatively, relatively high draft picks. Uh, yeah, and we think that, you know, we're in a good spot. We, you know, we, we're obviously going hard in the trade period, and I think it's the right thing to do. Um, we've gone to the draft the last three or four drafts. Um, we've stocked up from that part of it in terms of our young players. So I think the trade period this year will be a good one if we can um, take stock and, and go again. Sydney Stack, where is he at, Xavier? He burst onto the scene in his first year in the system and I think back to when he laid out Jack Viney and was taking speckies and had a couple of games where I think he kicked four goals. A tremendously talented footballer. I've followed his career pretty closely. Obviously, he's been embroiled in a couple of different controversies but seemed to have had a pretty good 2022 from the outside looking in maybe not quite good enough to break into what was a pretty strong side in the end. Where is he at, Xavier? Yeah, look, he's stacked. We all know Stack is highly talented. Um, you know, he's, he's still figuring out, you know, what it takes to be an elite AFL player, and that's the reality. Like, he's uh, he's improved each year he's come back. You know, we, you know, we want him to, you know, to come back pre-season day one and make a statement, and, you know, there's no... no you know, magic in that in terms of the players that have good pre-season generally have good good um, good seasons. So each challenge is, you know, now, this time of the year, what, you know, what's he doing away from the football club? And, um, you know, like I said, he's got tremendous talent. We all want him to play and do well. Um, but there's, you know, obviously that there is a standard and, and, you know, he's got to you know, meet us at that standard. And, you know, he's doing well. He's, he's trying his hardest. Um, and like I said, if he does get an opportunity again next year, then... Hopefully he does make that statement and come back in pre-season. We all want him to play because he's, he's, there's no doubt he's one of our most talented players on our list. And we, we, you know, we say that all the time. But, um, you know, there's, there's a, I guess the responsibility that comes with that and, um, you know, being able to play at the elite level, you've got to meet a certain standard in terms of your, your fitness and your conditioning and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, look, we'll, we'll get, I think we'll give him another chance at this stage from my understanding. I'm not too, too sure what that will look like, but... Hopefully, if we do, he's, um, he takes it with both hands and, and we see the Sydney stack that we love to see. Daniel Rioli, for mine, is one of the most improved players in the AFL. Had an interesting 2021 season where he was struggling a little bit ahead of the ball, playing as a small forward, which is a position that he can play very well. He's a triple premiership player as a forward, but he moved to defence and his football has come along in leaps and bounds. Whose decision was it to move him to defence? What kind of input did Daniel have when he was presented with that that option? And, uh, yeah, just tell me about his move to defence. Yeah, it's an interesting one because Daniel is just an elite um, you know, he's actually an elite runner um, and his, his contest stuff is really good. So, there's into one, he, he, he's half forward for us. You think about our you know, premiership year, Jason was saying, you know, Butler in 17, Daniel, they've never really been high possession players. They've been really good role players for us. Now, wingers have been the same. And unfortunately, it got to the point where Daniel just wasn't touching the ball as a forward and you know, he was getting flat and you know, getting disappointed himself. And, um, you know, so we just sort of thought, like, what can we do to get a spark out of him. And I remember having a conversation with Gumma. I was coaching the BFL at the time and I was, you know, we were just going back and forth, you know, should we put him in the midfield? Should we put him wing? Should we, you know, what should we do? And, and you know, we just kind of, when we just put him behind the ball and just let him get the ball in his hands, he can run, he can create, he can learn how to defend later on. Uh, but let's just see what it does. And um, I think he played three games VFL down back and then from there, he, yeah, he's just gone leaps and bounds. And it's been, Awesome to see. You know, he's in the All-Australian squad this year. 
Uh, you know, he's had one full season as a, as a backman. He knows how to defend now in terms of... I remember a game, I think Brisbane, the, the game we came back from 40 points down. We lose um, Dylan Grimes and you know, we put Daniel on Charlie Cameron as a deep, small forward and he defends him really well. So you see those and you know, you know, this kid can, can be... A, he definitely can be an All-Australian half-backer. Um, and Adam Kingsley says that all the time. You know, even you know, halfway during the year, mate, you can be one of the half best half-backs in the competition. And I think Adam Kingsley said it reminded him a little bit of um, Peter Bergon when Peter Bergon went down back. Um, the Port days, you know, they shifted into half-back role and, um, you know, and he was an outstanding player. So Daniels, it's just great to see he's taking his footy to another level. You know, there's always, you come to a crossroads in your career and you're wondering, can you still impact games? Um, but to be able to move position and, and excel has been tremendous for him and, um, you know, I'm really happy for him. And I guess a five-year extension in his contract, which is um, always good too. So he's, um, he's just going to go keep going better and better. Yeah, it must be special for you too, Xavier, being a St Mary's person, watching other St Mary's people and Territorians succeed at that level. Let's talk about another Rioli in Morris Rioli. Where do you see his ceiling as a footballer? Do you think long-term he will look to build that bigger tank and get some more midfield minutes like he has at VFL level, or will he solely be just that pressure forward? Uh, I think Dyson definitely seen moving in the midfield, to be completely honest. I've been quite surprised with how quick he's come along with his his endurance and his fitness to be completely honest he's uh he came to us you know as a you know a bit similar to his dad you know a bit more low gravity um he's got the big solid hips and and, the, and that but um he his work rate and his ability to be able to get up and down the ground and to be honest to play a half full role at afl level you gotta have midfield fitness if not fitter and, and the ability to be able to you know repeat speed and get up so with another preseason under his belt, um, you know, once he gets to understand the game plan and you know um, more midfield and, and running patterns and things, like that, I think he certainly can have an impact in small patches um, around the ball, around centre square bounce in particular. And we saw Cyril do it, you know, later in his career. We went in centre square bounce and drifted forward. Uh, Shay Bolton does it for us at the moment, so I think he certainly has the ability to be able to move in there in the future and um, certainly um, you know trouble opposition teams for sure. Speaking of Shay Bolton, what is he like off the field? He portrays a very laid-back character when you hear him in interviews. Does he have leadership potential? Is he a hard trainer, or is he one of those guys that just keeps to himself, that just gets in and out? What's he like? Yeah, he's, he's a quiet kid, but he's... Um, we draft him at the bottom age, you know, 17-year-old. I think he turned 18 in December in his draft year. You take him away from, you know, he's Perth. You know, comes over. You know, he doesn't say much, but he's uh, he's come on leaps and bounds. And that, as you do, like footy clubs, you grow up pretty quickly, uh, especially if you have to move away from home. And you know, Raf and I have to do it as well. So you grow up quick. You, you learn, you know, how, how to you know train at AFL level. And his his work rate is outstanding. Like you know, his first year or so, you just don't know. You just, until you've been told, you know, how you need to run, what sort of GPS numbers you need to be hitting and, and how do you train and you see people do it. Um, and he's been really good, man. And he, his footy's followed um, and his footy does do the talking, but he's, um, yeah, in meetings, he's starting to, to have a voice, which is really important. People listen. It's quite powerful when he does talk because, you know, he is he's quite a person, but, uh, yeah, he's had a phenomenal year and 
um, you know, he's just had a little baby, which we're, we're really happy for him. And, um, you know, he's just a real well-grounded grand, grounded kid that um, is scary to think he's only 23 years old. So, um, you know, big future for him. And if he can continue to excel the way he's going, he's going to be a very good player for a long time. No worries. Hey, Xavier, just wrapping it. Um, mate, just touching on the Hawthorne stuff, um, my question is um, do you think all AFL clubs need an Indigenous um, support or coach or, you know, uh, what do you call it, player? Liaison officer. officer. Yeah, so, like, we didn't have one when we come through, mate, but we, we, we had each other. Um, but what do you think um, going forward? I think most clubs do now, but do you think that's an ideal position for most clubs. Yeah, I think um, each club's a little bit different. I think last um, had a uh, mandatory um, each club had to employ an Indigenous player development manager. Um, so I think you'll find um, this year will be the first time I think ever that that every club has employed, employed one. Um, and they're all split against you know, different roles within the club, but ultimately their their role is um, a support network for for the indigenous players and a bit of a a voice and a direction to lean on, um, you know, when things do arise. Um, like I think Ronnie can speak on from you know, behalf of Richmond. Um, you know, we've got a great network there. You know, from upstairs, we've got the KGI um, with those the, the indigenous kids coming through through there every day. Um, myself as a coach, um, yeah, we've got seven or eight Indigenous boys playing for us. Um, you know, Shane Edwards has been a great player for us for a long period of time. Has been an outstanding leader for those boys. You know, Marlon Pickett comes in from a, you know, as a 27 year old, um, you know, checkered background, just comes in and be a role model and a, a father figure for those other boys. So. The environment's important, there's no doubt about it. And I think clubs will be certainly looking at um, yeah, how do they do things a little bit better in terms of supporting their all their players, but in particular, um, you know, Indigenous multicultural players for sure. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Xavier, just a quick one from me because we do need to throw to a break. But how have you found your own development as a coach at the Tigers and where do you see your coaching future? And before we say goodbye, Raf, sorry, Xavier, after this, I want you to give us a prediction for tomorrow's grand final. All right, well, yeah, oh, look, mate, I've been, I've been enjoying my, my coaching. I had three years at Thunder. Um, we coached Russell one year, which was um, which was uh, quite fun. But, um, yeah, look, to be able to get an opportunity at Richmond at the end of 2016 was um, yeah, something I was really you know, happy to get that opportunity and you know, done development for so probably two years and then coached the VFL for two years and then, Moved into the formal forwards for the last year and a half. Uh, it's been great. So my development, yeah, you know, I've been enjoying it. The Tigers have been fantastic. Um, you know, they they always promote within, um, which which has been really good. Um, so look, I'm enjoying it. You know, I'll, I'll stay here for another two years um, at the moment, which has been really fantastic. Been able to work with guys like you know Lynchy and Jack and Shea Bolton and these guys. So um, yeah, it's been great, man. I'm really enjoying it. And hopefully one day, you know, if it, if it does arise, I'd like to be able to to coach my own team, there's no doubt about that. But um, um, So that that's a, a dream. Um, my prediction for tomorrow, um, I'm going to the game, yeah. and we should be good, but I think Sydney might get it done, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Ooh. that um, if they can shut um, Geelong's offence down with their pressure, 
um, I think they will score. Um, even though Geelong have shown that they are, I think they're the number one team or number two team from um, stopping opposition from score from turnover. So if they can get through Geelong's defence, I think I think they beat them. Um, two things, I, I want Sydney to win it because I want the cup to go out of Victoria because I don't want Geelong rubbing it into our, our faces yeah. in Victoria. Take it away. Take it to New South Wales. <laughs> Very nice. Xavier, enjoy your day tomorrow at the footy and thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, boys. Take it easy. This is SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16.11am, thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Raf, some very uncomfortable news broke during the week. An article was released by Russell Jackson of the ABC who detailed Hawthorne's uh, an investigation that they were completed that was handed to the AFL about a week ago. In that were some really dis- disturbing, disappointing allegations uh, made by former Indigenous, not former Indigenous players, Indigenous former Hawthorne players, uh, which have implicated Alistair Clarkson, Chris Fagan and a host of other key figures around the AFL. There's plenty to talk about, plenty to digest. Raph, what was your thoughts when you heard this news? Yeah, same, mate. It's, it was pretty disturbing to hear. And, um, you know, it's one of those uncomfortable um, topics, unfortunately, that we have to touch on. And, yeah, it, um, it's it's not a good thing to hear. Um, you know, uh, but until we hear the full story and both sides of the story, you know, it's, it's hard to you know, make any real comment on it or judgment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if, if any of it's, you know, leading towards a, how the players are, are feeling, um, yeah, it's definitely not a not, um, nice thing to hear, mate. Raf, we did hear from a handful of former Hawthorne players during the week. We heard from Eddie Betts during the week, and this is what Eddie Betts, the AFL champion, had to say about this situation. And we spoke about it before about the Indigenous League Zone officers, you know, having those people at the footy club now can make those spaces a lot safer for these young Aboriginal kids and yeah my heart goes out to to those players for being brave to speaking up and their families as well but it was it was really hard and and this could happen at any club if Sean Bergen was at that football club and it and it slid under the table then as a leader Mm. and listened to him speak he was very devastated that these boys did not speak to him don't know if they were told not to speak to him or not if that if that was the case this could happen at any football club and, and I think that every football club should do a review like this. Raf, are you tired of... It's ironic that I'm asking you these questions now, but what frustrates me a little bit is that something involving a racism scandal happens and then Eddie Betts is almost forced to be like a spokesperson for other Indigenous AFL players. He comes on AFL 360 or in other media outlets and has a chat about it and then those comments go on social media and all the idiots and all the bogans online then attack Eddie. I think he is put in a really uncomfortable position. It is a position in the media that uh, I, I assume he enjoys. He does a lot of work in the media, a lot of great work. But as an Indigenous former AFL player, Raf, do you get tired when you hear these stories and get tired of, I suppose, having to answer or share your opinion on the matter? Yeah, mate, um, it's, it's, it's a, definitely... A, and I, I take my hat off to Eddie and, and my, you know, my heart goes out to Eddie because the, the amount of scrutiny he was put through through his mm. career and not only you know, as a player but now 
you know, while he's doing the special comments and talking about these issues, you know, it, it never stops for him. And, mm -hmm. you know, for him to still get out and about and play local footy and still have, you know, visits to communities and do some clinics, he, he's an absolute champion. And, and I love what he does for the Indigenous community and, and space in AFL and especially the message he puts across and tries to help clubs and anyone coming through the system and, um, you know, I, I take my hat off to Eddie every day, mate, and I, I'd, I'd love to give him a hug and pat him on the back mm -hmm. right now because, you know, you hear him talking there, you can hear how much it hurts in his voice that this has happened. And then also, you know, with Shawnee Burgon's um, uh, interview as well, you can hear how much it hurt him. So, yeah, it, it's something that needs to be taken care of, mate. It did hurt Sean Burgoyne. He and the current coach of the Hawthorne Football Club, Sam Mitchell, had this to say during the week about the allegations. It's very confronting considering I was there and I wasn't involved in any of it because I would have helped and I would have definitely been able to hopefully prevent some of those things from happening. When I woke up and, and read it this morning, I was upset, I guess, and I think you used the word um, disturbed. I think that's probably accurate. The fact that as we were part of a organisation at that time, it's enormously troubling now. Raf, do you think that every club should conduct an investigation into the treatment of their Indigenous players and staff? I think it's clear now. I think that anyone that says that, hey, our football club definitely 100% does not have a problem uh, in this area is perhaps naive. I think that there are probably plenty of stories that key people at AFL clubs do not know about. Um, do you think that all AFL clubs should conduct some form of investigation. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, if you look at what's happened, um, you know, with Collingwood as well, um, and now, now the Hawthorne Football Club, um, it's a it's a no-brainer, mate. Um, let's get it out on the table. Let's see what how people were treated, um, and you know, improve it now instead of you know fixing a couple of clubs and then a couple of years later something else comes out because all of a sudden someone else decided to do an internal interview uh, review of their club and. You know, then you go through all this again. Um, my time at St Kilda, um, I definitely didn't have anything like this. And mm. I don't know about my brother Xavier, but I definitely know he would have spoken up to me about it if, if something did happen along these lines. Um, yeah, we didn't have too many Indigenous boys come through St Kilda at the time we were there. We had Alan Murray and also Nicky Winmer, mm -hmm. um, young Nicky Winmer, not the senior Nicky Winmer. Um, so, you know, he, he never spoke up or came to me, but if there was something that... You know, he didn't, and then comes out later on, like if St Kilda went and did a review, um, I'd be pretty hurtful as well, mate, because, you know, I was like a mentor to him. Um, so I, I believe that St Kilda treated us really, really well. Um, so, But I'd like to see every club have to go through this process. I am interested to hear more about your time at St Kilda and your experiences in this area. But this situation just has such wider repercussions on the rest of the league. Does it call into question the integrity of some of the assistant coaches who were there at the time? Obviously, a lot of the assistant coaches and the people and Hawthorne staff, not just the coaches that were under the Alistair Clarkson regime, have gone on to other clubs and achieved great things. Does it call into question their integrity? Do they need to be investigated and perhaps face repercussions? Yeah, and like I said at the start, mate, it's a, it's a hard one um, in terms of, you know... Uh, yeah, uh, who said what or how? How truthful it all is, and and I, in my in my view of it too, sometimes the media does like to twist stories mm -hmm. and and to make them a lot bigger than what they are to bring it more, mm -hmm. I don't know, credibility and more crowd and more people to listen. Um, so I hope that's not the case. I hope 
Oh, you know, in some ways I do hope that's the case because you yeah, know course. some of these blokes, uh, you know, their their careers are on the line and their mm. reputation and. You know, they, they seem to be like champion fellas to me. Um, so, and but at the same time, um, you know, if these boys are saying it, then something's definitely there that's upset them. Once something is in such a public domain and everyone can put their two cents in and their opinions, it makes investigations and coming to a conclusion on these these topics so much more difficult. More to discuss after the break, Raf. This is SEN Fridays at the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, we will love your listing. Ralph, very uncomfortable news broken during the week by Russell Jackson of the ABC regarding Hawthorne and the racial allegations, the investigation that the club has conducted into some really, really unsavoury activities. Where does that leave Jed Anderson? There are a couple of mixed reports about uh, where he sits at the ruse, whether he will be offered a contract for next year. Where do you see Jed as a player? And this surely complicates things, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, mate, because uh, going on a few chats and, you know, hearing other people speak, it, it definitely when Jed was at Hawthorne. Mm. So, you know, just on, you know, my heart goes out to Jed if, if this involves him, this this chat. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a hard one, mate, but watching Jed Anderson go about his footy, um, you'd be silly not to offer him a contract in that regard. Um, but, yeah... This would be a tough time for him at the moment, um, you know, with the Hawthorne stuff going on. If it is, has anything to do with him. But he was there at the time, so, you know, he would have definitely been one of the players um, asked about this stuff. And, you know, just to see him back here in Darwin and training and enjoying himself is, you know, a good thing. But yeah, I'd like to see Jed. He's definitely got another four or five years left in his AFL career. Yeah, well, I think he adds a lot to North Melbourne, especially a young team like that with his grant, his contested ball-winning ability. Like you said, he has trained with the Darwin Buffaloes up in Darwin, obviously, over the last sort of month. And the way he's training, he's doing his extras after training. He is preparing like a person who still has plenty of AFL football left in him. So fingers crossed that works out well for him. Raf, going back to your own career, you did mention a little bit about how your brother was such a support and the other Indigenous players that were there at the club at the time. Was the club itself and the leadership at the club were they understanding of, I suppose, some of the cultural changes that you had to go through and the big leap that it was going from a Darwin kid to living in the big smoke of Victoria? Yeah, mate, I think, um, you know, having Nicky Wimmer as such a champion there for a long time before anyone else came along, um, even though that was years before Xavier turned up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Xavier had Alan Murray there for a few years with him and I was quite lucky when I walked in the system, I... I moved straight in with Avian Allen Murray, so mm-hmm. it's like I had two big brothers there to look after me, and um, yeah, so I I felt comfortable from the, the get go, and and the players around at that time, you know, your Luke Balls, your Matt McGuire's, your Del Santos, um, Rewal Kaczynski, they were all the same age pretty much, so there was a really good young group together. So you know, it wasn't like you had two or three young blokes come in and the rest of the, the senior list was like in their late twenties, so. We formed a really, really strong group there with that 20 to 21-year-old to 18, and mm-hmm. they all looked after me and took me in under their wings. So I, I made, like I had a, a really comfortable um, transition into my AFL career. Mate, a lot of people hear the term like cultural obligations or cultural difficulties. Explicitly, what are some of the challenges that young Indigenous AFL players like, say, some of those Hawthorne, uh, players, what what are some of the challenges that they go to go through? 
Yeah, I think the, the hardest one, mate, is realising once you're away and you're in that system, it's you, you just can't get up and leave mm. when there's a passing of, a, of, of family members or, um, you know, important in, um, anniversaries or yeah. birthdays. And that that's the hardest thing. And that's one thing when I look back, you know, I miss all, pretty much all my best mates' 18th birthdays or 21st birthdays and weddings and, you know, niece and nephews being born and mm. you know my mum and dad's um, milestone birthday so you know that's that's all part of the the package when you do go to the afl and, and if you don't see that before you get there and realize that's what you're going under um it's definitely hard and especially when young kids coming from community um or outside of the main system uh, where they have to go to everything they have their you know their culture when they have a sorry business when they have a ceremony um, it's not something that you, you're allowed to miss. And when you move to these big cities, you know, the reality that you, you can't just mm. get on a plane or get in the car and drive home, that's that's a big shock to anybody. Um, so that's why it's so hard in the transition for some of these guys from remote areas and people ask those sort of questions like, why why is it so hard for them? And I'm, I'm hoping I'm touching on it in mm. a way that people can sort of understand that. So that's my, my take on it, mate. You've mentioned a couple of times that this investigation, this is something that is still ongoing and it is important that uh, we must note that Alistair Clarkson has essentially completely denied the allegations. He deserves to have his say and put forward his version of events. This is what Jordan Lewis, a player who played a lot of good football under Alistair Clarkson, had to say during the week. And I can honestly say, hand on heart, that when it came out this morning and you ring around ex-teammates and in Indigenous teammates to see if, if they had known anything about it, and to a man, no one ever heard of anything like this happening in our time there. So the conversations, the alleged conversations that have happened to those individuals, um, we as a playing group were never, were never privy to those or never passed on any information that we needed to have input in. So, yeah, it's, it's clearly disturbing if these allegations are true. And, Raf, another former Hawk in the skipper, Luke Hodge, had this to say. It's, it's, a, it's uncomfortable to, to go through and read. Uh, and your, your first thought go to the players that went through it, the partners and the families that they went through, because it doesn't matter what your job is, um, it's always family first, and that's the, the first people that you look after. Um, so to, to go through and read that and the, the, what's been alleged is it's, it's very uncomfortable. And, and you, you sort of you want to put yourself... Like you, you can't put yourself in the position of those players and their families and what they've been through and what they've told by people who they're supposed to look up to. It's, it's an uncomfortable position for, for them to go through and, and, you, and you feel for them. Just quickly, Raf, do you genuinely believe, and I'm certainly not casting any aspersions that, it's, that I'm going in any direction here, but does Luke Hodge... Would he be privy to some of this information? It's not just one isolated incident now. It's a handful of Hawthorne players coming forward. It's the stuff that was going on with Surioli. It's some of the stuff that Jeff Kennett has said over the years. Would he be privy to more than what he lets out in the media and some of his comments? Yeah, mate, it's, it's a very hard one to, to um, answer because you, you listen to Hodgie there and, um, you know, he, he feels hurt. He feels very uncomfortable about it too. So if he did know anything about or he was you know in these some of these conversations being a skipper mm. um then you know that's that's a whole nother um headline in itself but um you know the best thing Hodgie says there is family first and you know and 
you know, Indigenous families are, are really close and connected mm. and, you know, there are a lot of them are big families. So, you know, when he says that, that, that means a lot and, um, you know, you can feel how hurt he is for the boys that are, are going through this. So, um, yeah, I, I'd take my hat off to Hodgie for that as well. Yeah, it's crazy, mate. There is so much that will play out with this situation over the off-season. It's almost overshadowed the grand final. I don't think it has, and we have plenty to talk about with that. Coming up, the big game tomorrow between Sydney and Geelong. Plenty more to come here. This is SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16-11. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SEN Fridays at the Top End, 16-11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, we will love your listing. Let's talk about tomorrow's grand final. Finally, Raf, it seems like there has been so much news that we've had to get through before we can digest this game, but let's do it now. Last weekend's preliminary final was the, well, I was going to say the perfect way to go into a grand final for the Cats, but some would argue that it was almost too easy. Brisbane were almost resembled witches' hatches at stages last weekend at the MCG. The Cats 18-12-120 defeated the Lions 7-7-49. Another very disappointing finals exit by Chris Fagan's men. Where do the Lions sit? Yeah, it definitely was hard to watch. Um, you know, like, as I was, had a bit of a soft spot for the Lions. I, obviously, everyone knows I don't really like Geelong <laughs> going through the grand finals because they've uh, knocked us off in 09. So, yeah, it was a hard one to watch. But when they started that third quarter, the Lions, and they got that first clearance out of the middle within five seconds, and Danaher was having a shot, I was like, Here, this is the Here they go. Point. Here we go. They're making their comeback. Any, for him to go kick it out on the full. Mm. I just, like, I wanted to turn it off after that. I was like, there's no way the, the Lions are coming back from this. And, um, yeah, the, the Cats were just um, unbelievable, mate. It, it looked like they couldn't do anything wrong, and, and Dangerfield was just running around as he pleased, taking mm. blokes on, taking, you know, just, just controlled the whole game, and if they're allowed to do that this weekend, mate, um, Sydney going to be in for a long day. Paddy Dangerfield started. He had the 28 disposals, two goal two. Tommy Hawkins, 14 touches, four goal three. Mitch Duncan was good. Zach Guthrie, Mark Blixars. A 71-point win, Raf. Is that the type of uh, audition? Is that what you want led, leading into a grand final? Or do you want a bit of a tougher hit out like the Swans had? Oh, it's, a, it's a bit 50-50, mate. Yeah, it, it, um, I think it was tough early on, but... You know, I think the best thing about it, you go with your confidence sky high now and, you know, you, you've got well, maybe the one injury, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was a bruise-free bruise footy second half. So, you know, you go into the game really, really fresh and your confidence is like sky high, mate. You, you've, it's it's almost like it's only you can beat yourself sort of thing feeling, I reckon, yeah. um, for the Geelong Cats at the moment. And um, that's the way they'd be feeling, I reckon. Josh Dunkley, the Western Bulldogs star, has requested a trade to the Brisbane Lions. He is set to bolster their midfield along with the inclusion of young gun Will Ashcroft, who's a potential number one pick this season. Those two players will certainly help the Lions, won't they? Definitely, mate. And that's um, probably what I'd be aiming for if I was uh, Chris Fagan, um, to strengthen that midfield group. A couple more players to help out, your Lockie Neals and those types. Uh, Does it form a distraction, though? Let's put yourself in the position of a Josh Dunkley type. With all the allegations, and it's crazy that we have to go back to it, but the Hawthorne stuff, Chris Fagan may be out of a job within the near future. So is that something that would concern a person like Josh Dunkley? No, mate, I think it's um, because it's when you look at it, it's only going to be one person involved in that. Uh, if, if it is, you know, all comes away and, and Fagan has to step aside, you know the playing group's still going to be there. The playing group is, you know, obviously you need a good coach to get you to those positions, but 
if you don't have the group to put you in those back-to-back finals, or what have they been in four finals or in a row now? Mm. Um, I think he's got. You got to have pretty good confidence that you're going to have the same group and the same mentality. So, yeah, I'd be more worried about it if you're losing good players instead of the coach. Yeah, very good. Grand final coming up next, Raph. This is SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11 a.m. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin, we will love your listing. Just a quick one, Raph, but what a game last weekend, the preliminary final between Sydney and Collingwood. The Swans victorious by one point. What did you think of the game? Yeah, mate, it was a crazy start, the way the Magpies let up get a jump on them like that, but... To their credit, the way they fought back, if I, I think if that game went for another oh, 30 yeah. seconds, Collingwood would be the ones going to a grand final this weekend, mate. And on the sidelines when he was coaching and how, how much he was invested in the games with his players. And, you know, yeah, Collingwood, they're going to have a, a good couple of years coming, I reckon. In 10 seconds, Raf, tell us what the Pies need to do over this off-season if you're the coach. Mate, I reckon they've got everything they need. Um, and that... Like I said, they're going to have the amount of confidence going to next year. Um, if they keep that group, they'll be laughing. For the Swans, can something like that drive a wedge between a player and a club? So McDonald was a highly touted young draftee. Let's say the next time his contract is up and a Western Australian club comes calling with a big contract offer, could this stay in the memory bank? Yeah, it definitely would, mate. And, um, yeah, it, it's something that could easily push you away and, and drive you away from the club. Um but if you know you've got a good group and that group's going to stay together for a while, you know the chances of playing in another grand final sooner rather than later if you do up and leave, um, you know, that makes you stay as well. So, you know, there was opportunities where you could leave. Um, you know, I, I probably could have left after 09, but when you see the group you had, you're like, no, I think we're going to be in a couple more grand finals here. So, um, yeah, you definitely always stay, I, I would. <laughs> it's something that certainly could cause a destabilising influence on a football club, the grand final selection. It's much more complicated, I believe, than what people think or give time to. Were there any hard luck stories for St Kilda in those grand final games, either selection-wise or perhaps a player that was the heart and soul of the club but struggled with injury? Yeah, I think the the, the big ones when I played, mate, in that 09 year was the guys like Maxie Hudson mm. and those guys that were, you know, being around the club for you know, their whole careers, you know, 10 plus year careers and you know we went with his, um, Zach Dawson instead yep. of Max Hudson and you know Maxie Hudson was a heart and soul of St Kilda for many years and was that know, the right decision 10 years on 12 um, years on yeah I think Zach Dawson's season he had um, you know and he, he obviously stopped Mooney and those guys and Hawkins and, and, and games prior um, and yeah unfortunately like, Max is a favourite of mine and, um, as well but yeah it, it was one of those ones where you know, that older body, so you could see the sort of the end yeah. of his career coming. And Zach Dawson, you know, to his credit, when he came into St Kilda, he just went to a whole new level and mm-hmm. he, he made that position himself, that fullback position. So, Do you make any exceptions for players? Like, I suppose, if a Patrick Dangerfield or a Joel Selwood says, look, I've got a bit of a sore knee, but I should be right to get through it. I know my body. That might be a bit of a different conversation than if it's a, a Max Holmes who says, oh, look, I can feel the hammy a little bit, but I know my body, I'll be right. He's only 20 years old. Do you make exceptions for different players? Yeah, definitely, mate. When you mentioned Selwood and um, Dangerfield, they're match winners. You know, they're the type of guys who could turn a game on their head and, um, you know, you could take them in at 80% and they're still going to give you that opportunity to, to 
win a game of footy. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen much of young Maxi, unfortunately, um, mm. Holmes um, play. But yeah, I, I you definitely give the, those older champions, you know, that that bit of a leeway, I guess. <laughs> Geelong versus Sydney, the first time these two clubs have ever faced off in a premiership decider. Let's talk about the Cats. They've been the team to beat all season. They were going to tomorrow's game as the favourite. What do they need to do to ensure the game is played on their terms? How are they going to win? How are they going to get an advantage over the Sydney Swans tomorrow, Raf? I think that freestyle of play and getting through that Sydney defence, um, you know, because Sydney are very good at making the ground smaller than what it is and shutting you down. Um, so I think if the Cats get on that free-flowing and taking the game on sort of play um, and their big forwards to um, stand up in Hawkins and Cameron, mm. um, you know, it's going to be a long day. But then again, when you mention that, you know, the McCartan brothers mm. playing down back um, have been an amazing story in itself for the Swans. What a story. Eight concussions. And he, along with his brother Tom, have been linchpins of the Swans' defence, that must have taken incredible, I suppose, courage and resilience to overcome those eight, concu- eight concussions, wouldn't it, Raf? Yeah, definitely, mate. When you when you think your career's over, um, you know, because you, you know, in the long run, you look at these players with these these um, head injuries, and mm. it, it is a it's, it's a frightening thing to go through. Um, you know, I, I was quite lucky to not have too many concussions in my playing days, but to you know, almost. Have your career over and done with at a 21, 22 year old um, to turn around. See, he's gone about his play. Yeah, very close. He was very close. And, you know, I take my hat off to Paddy. He, you know, to come back, uh, you can see the smile on his face every time they, they're playing. And after a game, he's walking off with hand in hand yeah. with his brother. And, mate, that's the best feeling, um, you know, playing at the top level uh, with your brother. Um, yeah. I should ask you that. What is that like playing with your brother? Obviously, a lot of people have played with their siblings in the backyard, but to play at the national stage, everyone's talking about the McCartan brothers. What you had this very exact experience. What's it like? Yeah, it's 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 something uh, uh, at the time you you don't realise how lucky you are because um, mm-hmm. yeah, we you know it was just like yeah, it, believe it or not, it just felt normal i don't know yeah. you know like because we played a lot of footy uh with saint mary's together you have little inside jokes or a laugh while you're out there yeah, is it all business and um the funny thing is um my very first touch in afl footy was from xavier <laughs> so you know i take I, I thank him for that um you know i didn't say thanks to him this morning for it but yeah from memory my very first touch in afl footy it was xavier kicked it to me so you know, he looked after me from day one, I guess. So, <laughs> um, But, yeah, at the time, you don't realise how special that is. Um, and then now looking back and watching, like, the McCutton brothers yeah. and, you know, you're thinking, geez, we should have made, um, you know, made more memories and made it more fun. I, I, at the time, you just played football. Yeah. Didn't think about it too much. So, yeah, it was a very special thing to have and be able to go through. Mate, tomorrow is a legacy-defining game, I believe, for two players particularly. It's for every player, all 45, 46, if you count the medical subs, players out there. But Paddy Dangerfield, who has never won a premiership but been such a fantastic footballer. And I also think Lance Buddy Franklin, he kicked his 1,000th goal the last time these two teams met at the SCG earlier in the season. Franklin is going to go down as not just a champion but an absolute legend, Hall of Fame-level status. But could you imagine what it does for the conversations for the greatest of all time and things of that nature if he comes out tomorrow, has a big game and delivers Sydney a premiership? It's almost like the culmination of that big 10-year deal, nine-year deal that he was offered, um, the justification of that. So what does tomorrow's game mean for both those two legends? 
Yeah, mate. Uh, this could be, you know, this could put Buddy up there with, yeah, like you said, one of the all-time greats. Um, if he comes out and kicks his five goals and gets him over the line by himself, which we all know he's capable of doing, um, but that Geelong back line is, is a very, very solid back line. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what it is for Buddy. Um, but Dangerfield, yeah, he's been one of those unfortunate ones. Like, he's missed mm. out a couple and, you know, he he came to Geelong for this reason um, to win a flag and you know it'll be it'd be good to see such a good player win it. The, the dominance he had last week, if he comes out and, and and does that again, he he not only gets the premiership medal, I think he'll get a Norm Smith if he puts on that same performance. Do you think Dangerfield is feeling that pressure? I know in 2020 he had a poor grand final against the Tigers and I suppose symbolically Dustin Martin shrugged off Dangerfield in the final couple of minutes and kicked that great goal and it was, as I said, it was a symbolic uh, gesture of the way that battle went that night. So obviously he would be feeling some pressure to perform in the big game. Do you think that, give me your experience, please, Raf, of when you play at that level and face that scrutiny and you play a bad game and you have all the supporters and, and social media and the coaches on your back, what is it like for a player entering such a big game with that pressure? Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, that's the unfortunate thing about um, the, the media and the, the, the eye of the, you know, the outside supporters. And, um, you know, I, I got caught holding the ball early in the grand final in 09 and the Cats kicked their first goal and, you know, unfortunately that's something that's always talked about when people ask me about all... You know, Do you ever get any random people coming up to you giving yeah, you it's funny, like that's, flack about that's, that? That's been the, you know, you know, the one thing about that grand final, that server on my mind because that's what people, you know, some people, especially Geelong people, <laughs> outside supporters of St Kilda, you know, they always point that and not the other, you know, seven yeah. or eight in touches I had in the game and the goals I set up. Yeah. They always talk about you get holding the court, holding the ball. So Danger would have, you know, those, those past memories on his mind. But mm-hmm. I think the way he goes about it, um, he, he'll put all that aside. And, yeah, he, he has no stopping him tomorrow, I think. It's a cutthroat world, mate. This is SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11am. Thanks to Rain and Horn, Darwin. We will love your listing. Raph, we've spoken about the Cats. They set up very well in their back line. Players like Tom Stewart, Sam De Koenig, the intercepting Kings. Where do Sydney have the advantage tomorrow? Yeah, mate, I think the, the best thing about Sydney is that they, they can take a lot of confidence out of the last time they played the Cats, um, mm. you know, with the... the the performance they put on up there and a 30 point win so yeah. it wasn't like they just scraped over the yeah, line exactly. either so they, they've they know how to win they know what their strengths were that day um bloody so yeah i think sydney will go into the game very very confident um even though geelong and the rest of australia probably leading towards geelong mm-hmm. are going to take it home quite easily but i like Xavier mentioned earlier in the show, I think Sydney are the ones that will surprise everyone tomorrow. And I'm, I've got a slight, obviously, leaning towards Sydney because of my, not hate for Geelong, but yeah. um, the, the reason they've got a premiership and I don't um, from 09 is the reason I'm leaning towards Sydney. Um, but I think, you know, guys like Papley and, and, and yeah. Buddy, if they, if they click, mate, and that Sydney midfield is surprisingly, um, does get a lot of um, run and, very unheralded, a lot yeah, of their players. Like, you're looking at your Ollie Florence and your Callum Mills yeah. and guys like that. They don't get spoken about a lot, exactly. but tremendous they, footballers. And they both, they, they all kick goals as well as, you know, not just winning possessions in, through the middle. Um, so, goal-kicking midfielders on grand final day is, is what can win you a game. And, 
you know, you look at Dusty and those grand finals mm. he played, playing on the ball, ends up kicking two or three goals, and that's the big one. And, and the other way, Dangerfield is is the main man to do that yeah. for the Cats. But um, if you'd ask me, make my tip, I would definitely be leaning towards City just because of my personal <laughs> hate towards the Cats. <laughs> Mate, we talk about some of the star players tomorrow. We've spoken about the legacy-defining game that it is for Patrick Dangerfield and Lance Franklin. But in your opinion... If you had to put your ball in anyone's corner, who's going to have a bigger impact tomorrow, Dangerfield or Buddy? I think um, Dangerfield because he's got to be standing on on the ball um, yeah. and he's going to follow the ball wherever it goes. And you know he he's going to be spreading all over the ground and he'll be doing everything in his power to make sure that this win goes his way. Where Buddy, you know he's he can push up the ground as much as he wants, but. You know, Buddy's impact is hitting the scoreboard yeah. um, and that relies on his midfielder group and his backline group getting the ball to him in the best position possible for him to, to you know, get on the scoreboard. So I think Dangerfield, because he's always going to be where the ball is, he can impact the, the, the game from any, any time and any place on the ground. So I think um, Dangerfield has a bigger, bigger responsibility. Last question about the ramifications of the game before we go to a tip and a Norm Smith prediction. Joel Selwood, is he on his last legs? Will he retire, uh, win, lose, or draw? Well, there won't be a draw tomorrow. But will he retire after the grand final? I think that he's slowing down. He is still able to play that influential role. He's such a, such a star, such a great contested ball winner. And I think, pleasingly for the Cats, he has expressed interest that he would be happy to play restricted minutes and just be a leader around the club. Is that a situation that the player and club can make work? What do you see for Joel Selwood's immediate future at the Cats? Mate, I think his legacy and what he's done, if he gets a win tomorrow, if I was in his shoes, I'd definitely be going out as a winner on top of the world. Um, You know, so that would be me if I was in his boots. Do you still think that he is contributing? Yeah, definitely, mate, definitely. Um, and he, he leads the way with his attack on the footy and his contested footy. Did you ever play against Joel? Yes. Uh, did you so. ever successfully tackle him or did you do the old drop the shoulder? Uh, he um, almost broke my leg, I think, in the 09 <laughs> grand final. So I limped off after I, I had a collision with him and oh, I think no. he ended up kicking a goal after it. So there you go. Yeah, he just brushed me off like I was uh, 50 kilos. <laughs> All right. Raf, I know that you are going to say, well, I don't know that you're going to say Sydney. You've said about 100 times already how much you hate the Cats for costing you a premiership medal, but let's get a tip and a Norm Smith. Yeah, mate, uh, it's not going to change my mind there. I'll, I'll go for, I'm leading towards the Swans, and if anything, it'll be, I'd like to see Jeremy Cameron in a losing grand final win of best on. Oh, that's an interesting one. I am going to go for Sydney as well. I really do not know. I think that Geelong deserve to be the favourites. I think they are probably the better team, but the reason why Sydney will win is because grand finals are so unpredictable. And my Norm Smith is Chad Warner. I think he will add a bit of speed and pace and just that running ability. Have you seen much of Chad Warner? Do you rate him? Yeah, mate. He he definitely knows how to find a footy and he does carry the ball and that driving run he he has. He's, He's very good finisher when he has the ball in his hands. Well, big, big game tomorrow. We will finish with a little bit of NTFL, Goss. I think we need to mention the effort of Jack Musgrove, so a St Mary's person. He coached a flag for Rapunyup in the Horsham District Football League in Victoria. Also finished the season with a sneaky 95 goals, mind you. 
Rapunia broke a 20, 25, 21, 22 year drought. It was a long drought, I know that, Raf. That must have been a very, very special occasion for that town and for Jack Musgrove. Yeah, definitely for the Musgrove family. And, mm. and that's where their old man played his footy. Um, yep. And for Jack to go back home where his old man's from uh, and take his brothers and, and take some good players with them and to build that club and culture again to even to get him into that um, premiership, um, you know, window and then to go out and win one and also put that many goals on the board, mate. It's an amazing effort to Jack and, and the boys down at Rapunia. And, you know, I, I'm so happy for him and especially you know, giving that back to his old man to see that happen. Mm. Um, he's a good man, old guy, Musgrove, and you know, <laughs> I say good day to him too if he's listening. And I'm sure he is. He played alongside Jack, of course, played alongside his brother Mitch in the grand final, Daniel Clee from Wanderers, Daniel Weitra from Wanderers, and Zach Robinson from St Mary's also played for Rapunyup in the drought-breaking flag win. Very, very nice. Chris Bucks was announced that he will be coaching the South Cairns Cutters in the AFL Cairns competition, a competition that was won by Aaron Davies' Cairns City Lions just last weekend. Before we talk about the Lions, Bucks coaching two different teams. Of course, Nyclis Premier League coach and has so much success at the Tigers. Can you juggle coaching two different teams in two different states? Yeah, he's uh, he's a brave man, mate. Uh, I'm <laughs> put my hand up to coach the Div 2 St. Mary's this year. and um, That's I'm, hard enough work. Yeah, struggling to find time now to, to work out how to coach and um, do your work in everyday life. So yeah, if he can pull that off, mate, that's, uh, that's an incredible feat. <laughs> and the Lions had a big win in the Cairns competition. Jackson Calder, Kyle Emery, a bunch of NT players. I could name them all, but we'd, we'd run out of time, Raph. Yeah. Such a NT-infested team. They got the job done really easily, 95 points, I think it was. Probably no surprises there, Raph. Yeah, definitely, mate. Uh, Aaron Davies done a terrific job, like we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, to go back-to-back in any league, um, it's an amazing effort by Aaron and the boys over there. Southern Districts have been busy in the off-season with the signing of Matt Dennis. They announced another one last weekend with the pickup of Cam Ellis-Yolman, former Brisbane and Adelaide player. He's that big-bodied midfielder. I think he weighs about 98, 99 kilos, maybe even more now that he's retired from the AFL. But that's not a tackling that man is not a prospect that I'm looking forward to this season. How are the Crocs going to go and what will Ellis Yolman bring to the comp? Yeah, hopefully he um, he, he slims up a bit, mate, because that... Uh, that heat, he'll yeah, lose some weight running around yeah, up here, I'll tell you that much. Quick, so whether he's ready for that, um, yeah, but just that any, anyone you can add a classy midfielder to any side up here, it definitely goes a long way to help the outside runners you have. So the districts, um, that'll be a big... Plus you to have Matt Dennis tapping mm. it down his throat, so that that's a good... Good connection there. Some very interesting developments from the Wanderers Football Club, Raf. Stephen Motlop has supposedly committed to the Eagles, the club has announced on social media. We spoke to Shannon Motlop, the Pint Premier League coach, just a couple of weeks ago on this show, who said that Stephen had told him that he wasn't going to play football at all. He was going to get shoulder surgery, and he was too sore to play. But now the Eagles have come up and said, nah, he's playing with us. What did you think when you saw that? Yeah, it was an interesting one, and we've tried to to get Stephen on the show, yeah. actually, and um, hopefully we get him in next week so we can He's got some explaining to do, right? Yeah, so uh, he's um, left his big brother out to dry there, and, um, yeah, we'll see what happens in the, in the coming weeks for Stephen. <laughs> 
Marlon Olop, another who is committing more regularly for the Muck Mucks. And big Eddie Simpson. I do not know if you have seen a lot of Eddie Simpson, but he's a focal point. Uh, but he really took over when Brett Eddie, who won the Dennis Dunn medal a couple of seasons ago, left. And it was like, well, who's going to kick the goals now for the Eagles? And Eddie Simpson, I think, started the season with something like 40 goals in the first 10 games. Went down and played and fulfilled his waffle commitments. How do you think the Eagles are going to go this season? And what does a big forward like that help a team with the makeup of the Eagles? Yeah, it definitely gives them a vocal point up forward, mate. And uh, I think the Wanderers will be a top four side. Top four side. Where, where are their advantages? You've played a lot of good football against them over the last couple of years. St Mary's Wanderers rivalry is crazy. What are they? What are their standout points as a team? Well, they've get if they get the similar group of last year, they had the experience of Stephen Mollop and Marla Mollop. But you also get a, you know Neil Vivi coming back as well. We've seen. Um, so if they get all those guys on the park at the same time. Their outside run and unpredictability that they can bring is is a big big strength. Raf. Thank you very much for joining us. Good luck tomorrow. What, what's the day look like tomorrow? Just hanging out with the family? Yeah, mate. Uh, by the pool, watching the grand final. Hopefully my mum brings a nice birthday cake for me. Um, oh, yeah. My sister, so that'll be a good day. <laughs> well, happy birthday for tomorrow, Raf. Thanks very much for joining us. No Thank you, Jackson. That was SEN Fridays at the top end, 16, 11 a.m. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks very much to Raf. Thanks very much to our awesome producer in Ollie. This is from Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91